My name is Nikki. My name is Charlie. And you're listening to Bed Crime Stories. All right, guys, it is my turn. This is Charlie. I am going to be telling you guys about the murders of Diane and Alan Scott Johnson. I have not heard this. Yay. Okay. So uh, the sources for this one, I got some information from Wikipedia and Murderpedia because hi. Um, and I found a really great profile on the um, on the story by a gentleman named Charles Montaldo from a website called thoughtco.com. And also some of the resources are from my own noggin because I watched the entire trial of this when it was on court TV, because I'm that girl. So um, just a little backstory about that. So when we first moved to Florida from New Jersey, I didn't have a job yet. So I found myself watching a lot of daytime television, which I had never done before. And this was kind of at the very height of court TV, like when court TV showed trials from the very beginning, right? From jury selection all the way through to verdict, right? And you got to see literally every single thing that was happening inside the courtroom. Mm -hmm. And this was the first trial I watched from the beginning to the very end. And my mom and I sat there glued to the TV every single day. This happened in Idaho. So the time was a little bit different. So like we had time to kind of sleep in a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then when court would go into recess at the end of the night, like we had plenty of time, like sit there and chat about things that happened that day. We were obsessed with this story. So again, this is the murders of Diane and Alan Johnson. So in the early morning hours of September 2nd, 2003, so we actually just passed the anniversary of the events of the story, um, 16-year-old Sarah Johnson runs out of her house in Bellevue, Idaho, and she was screaming for help. So she ran over to the neighbor's house. She told them that her parents had been murdered. So that's all she says. Help, help, help. My parents have been murdered. Diane Johnson, 52 years old, was found lying under the covers in her bed, dead from a gunshot blast to the head. Alan Johnson, 46 years old, was found lying next to the bed, shotgun wound to the chest. Okay. I'm sorry, what time was this? Um, Early morning hours. It was around like 6 o'clock, 6.30-ish. It was early in the morning. Okay. So police show up. They find, um, obviously, the bodies of Diane and Alan. They also see that the shower in the master bedroom or bathroom um, was still on. So the shower is still running. And then based on the fact that Alan's body was damp and the there was footprints on the floor that were both wet and bloody, um, it looked as though Alan was shot as he exited the shower. More than likely what the assumption was is more than likely he heard the gunshots in the bedroom when Diane had gotten shot yeah. and he was coming out of the bathroom to come to her, right? So he was able to walk toward Diane across the bedroom, but he did collapse. He bled to death before he could get to the phone or get to Diane. So cops found at the home in the trash outside of the house at the street um, to be picked up later that morning. So thank goodness they got there when they did um, a pink bathrobe that had blood all over it, two gloves, but they didn't match each other as a pair. So there was a left glove and a right glove, but they didn't match as a pair. The left glove was a leather driving glove Mm -hmm. and the right glove was just a regular like latex glove. Inside of the house was just an absolute, uh, it was an absolute mess. It was awful. When we watched, I remember watching the trial and they showed the the crime scene photos. It was just breathtakingly awful. Um, 
So in the bedroom uh, where Diane and Alan were found, uh, blood on the walls, ceiling, the force of the gunshot specifically to, ti- to Diane was so strong and at such a close range that the blood w- traveled outside of the bedroom, through the hall, and then across the room and into Sarah's bedroom. Okay, like that's just how much evidence was all over the house and how uh, powerful the gunshot blast was, right? Um a rifle was recovered in the couple's bedroom that would turn out to be the murder weapon. And there were also two butcher knives placed at like the foot of the bed. And the way that they were placed, they were placed, they were placed there where it was obviously obvious that they were placed there on purpose. So they were kind of like laid point to or blade to blade, kind of like in a V shape pattern. So it was very like, they weren't just thrown there. They were very carefully placed there. Like I have questions, but I feel like they're going to be answered. So I'm just like, waiting wanna, on the edge of your seat i don't want to get like too <laughs> yeah i don't yeah and i don't want to give anything away because this is a this is a crazy one um but trying to say, blah, 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 blah. i feel like there. i know okay. but i feel like that's too so inside sarah's bedroom um besides the dna evidence police all or you know the the spatter evidence police also found a magazine of bullets um they were unable to find any evidence of forced entry into the home when Sarah first was speaking to the police, she states that she woke up around 6.15. She heard her parents shower running, so she stayed in bed, and was startled by the sound of two gunshots. She states that she approached her parents' bedroom, but it was closed. So she gets to the bedroom. Bedroom was closed. Bedroom door was closed. She yelled for her mother, and when her mother did not respond, she got frightened and ran out of the house screaming for help. Y'all people need to watch more crime TV. <laughs> yeah. So um, as the investigation continues, Sarah's question a couple more times. Every single time they question her, her story about the doors continuously changes. So in some situations, their bedroom door is closed, but hers is open. Hers is open, but theirs is open only a little bit. Uh, hers is closed, but theirs is open. So every single time they talk to her, She's giving a different account of the story and what the situation was inside the house at the time. So, um, I just made like a weird, like burping sound. So we need to, yeah, that was weird. And I apologize for my weird burping sound. So, um, Sarah did admit that the bathrobe was hers, but as investigators asked her they're like so the pink bathrobe that we found in the trash can is it yours she goes i didn't kill my parents that was her response not yes or no just i didn't kill my parents like "Mm, okay so uh they kind of found that odd (laughs) obviously she did admit that it was her robe but didn't know how it came to be in the trash is what she claims she said that she believed that the murderer was a maid that the johnsons had had but they recently fired because apparently the maid had stolen from them so they fired this woman what year was this 2003 okay yeah 2003 i'm like i don't know why i'm thinking like forever ago yeah it wasn't that long ago so the murder weapon um was a 264 winchester magnum rifle it belonged to a man named mel spiegel he rented so um the johnson's house the way that it was set up they had a detached garage which was actually in their backyard Mm -hmm. so you had to drive around their house to get to the garage yeah and they had a finished apartment above the garage so this gentleman mel spiegel rented the apartment behind the johnson's house he was out of town it was labor day weekend he was out of town visiting whomever and um he did tell the police that that was his rifle um he owned it 
but it was in a unlocked closet in his locked apartment. And I wonder who has a key to the apartment. Isn't that weird? Who would think? I mean, most, uh, you know, landlords. Correct. Or at least access to in their home, Mm -hmm. you would assume. Yes. Yeah. So it turns out that Sarah, 16 years old, has been dating a guy by the name of Bruno Santos Dominguez. Now, he goes just by Bruno or Bruno Santos. So friends claim that Sarah was completely head over heels, butt crazy in love, infatuated, obsessed with Bruno. Bruno was 19 years old. He was an undocumented Mexican immigrant. And there were rumors that he had been involved with drugs. So the Johnsons did not approve of their 16-year-old daughter dating Mr. Bruno Santo. Santos. Santos. Um, sorry, <laughs> got a little tongue-tied. Um, they forbid her from seeing him any longer. We don't want you to see him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Motive. So um, August 29th, so about four days-ish before the murders took place, Sarah claimed that she was going to sleep over by a friend's house done it um and of course instead went to bruno's went to his family's apartment um her parents caught her they were pissed diane threatened that she was going to call the cops on bruno and she was going to tell the cops that because he's 19 she's 16 statutory rape her theory there was i don't really want to get him in trouble i just want to kind of get him away i want to get him deported truthfully that's what Diane was assuming was going to happen. Just get him away. Right. Exactly. And we'll all be much happier. She was going to try and use the system to her benefit to protect her daughter. So Sarah was grounded for the rest of Labor Day weekend and her car keys were taken away. So she couldn't leave. She couldn't go anywhere. And throughout the next few days, Sarah, who had access to the key to Mel Spiegel's apartment because her parents were the landlords, um, was apparently in and out of his apartment for whatever reason. Now, I could not find anywhere where there was a specific reason, like her dad was telling her, hey, could you run up to Mel's and get, right, Mel? Yes. Mel's and get a screwdriver. Like, there was no yeah. no documentation of was there actually a reason for her to go to Mel's house? Or was she just seen kind of like randomly, like, traipsing through the backyard going to Mel's house so just being knows? like a nosy ass kid yeah or just like I'm bored because I'm grounded on There's Labor Day weekend to do. and my alternative is be in the house with my parents who I'm mad at or be at Mel's apartment when I know he's not home and that's what I'm gonna do exactly. sounds like it's, that sounds like what she kind of did that's what it sounds like she was sure trying so, to do sure so <laughs> sure so the Johnsons um Diane and um Alan, they call up their son, Matt. Matt is away at college. Now, Matt is not Alan's biological son. He is Diane's son from a previous relationship. Mm -hmm. But they were all very, Matt was very close with his parents, both of them, both Alan and Diane. Um, So they just, they kind of called up Matt and were like, this is what's going on with your sister. We're just frustrated. We needed somebody to vent to. You're in the family. You're, you know, you need to know that this is what's going on type of a thing, right? So they vent their frustration to him about Sarah's behavior. Because, uh, hold on, note, this is like probably <laughs> probably before Facebook, you know, because yeah, now everybody vents their stuff out now online. Uh, for sure. So like, before, so this back then it was like three, you figure, I remember, I think I started my Facebook in what, like, oh, five or oh, six. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you're probably just like venting to your family because you wanted to keep that like perfect image. And then well, like now everybody just puts everything online. It's the perfect image. And it's also the fact of like. 
And like, I don't know how much of it is I just want to vent or how much of it is like, Matt, you need to, un- you need to know what's happening here. So that way, when you come home, you kind of know what the situation uh, is. Okay. Like, are they just kind of keeping them abreast of the situation or yeah. do we want to just like vent to you because we're upset? I yeah. mean, and honestly, either way, it's their son. So, yeah. you know, whatevs. Completely. So I keep making weird burping noises and I don't know what is happening with that wine. It's not carbonated. No. Rude. (laughs) Uh, My gastrointestinal tract is pissing me off. We're going to have an interesting blooper reel. Okay. So the Johnsons call Matt. They let him know what's going on. Blah, 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 blah. So later that night, Sarah and Matt wind up talking on the phone and, you know, he's talking to his sister about what's going on, da-da-da-da. And he has, he eventually mentions that her response that night was very odd. So at first she kind of seemed to accept the punishment and make it, like, made it sound as though she was kind of understanding. But then she said this comment kind of along the line of, well, I know what they're up to. And the way that she said it to Matt just kind of came across as very cold and calculating and unfeeling and like, that made it feel he, he it was an uneasy feeling in his stomach. So he was going to actually, when he got off the phone with his sister, call back his mom and talk to his mom about it. Like, dude, Sarah said this. It was kind of fucked up. Like, what's going on? Yeah. Um, but he didn't call. It was super late at night. So he decided not to call. And of course, it was the night before they wound up getting murdered. So, like, I feel really bad for the kid. Not, believe me, not saying that he probably anything that he could have done yeah. could have changed the events of what happened the next morning. What, what the heck was he going to do? Yeah. Cause I guarantee you, he'd call up his mom and say, Hey, Sarah said this. She's like, well, of course she's mad. And everything still would have went as happened. Yeah. But, um, I feel bad for the kid because you can, I can't even imagine the guilt that he must feel just because it all happened. Well, I mean, and who also thinks that your sister is like a murderer? So <clears throat> Sarah does wind up getting arrested. She gets arrested on October 29th. So just about two months after the murder happens, she's arrested because there is plenty of DNA evidence placing her at the scene. So the blood in the tissue that was on the pink robe that belonged to Sarah was DNA uh, matched to Diane. The gunshot residue uh there was gunshot residue found on the leather glove and sarah's dna was inside the latex glove um diane's dna was also found on the bottom of the socks that sarah was wearing that morning so incriminating so it kind of put her like literally in the middle of the scene yeah right yeah um so the one piece of evidence that seemed to kind of confound the um prosecutors however was the pink rope so Yes, there was a lot of blood evidence. Yes, we knew it was Sarah's, but the blood evidence that was on the robe was on the left arm and the back of the robe. Now, Sarah, from all accounts, was right-handed. So the blood spatter wouldn't, that's not where your arm would be pointing if that's, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's just, it doesn't make sense. That's right? your dominant so arm. So would it be your left arm that had the blood spatter and why would it be on your back, right? So that was the question. So it was Getting them very frustrated because they knew that this was kind of the smoking gun, you know, um, as far as the connection between Sarah and the murders. But they couldn't put together how the blood got on the back of the robe. If she put the robe on prior to killing them to protect her clothes. Meanwhile, while they're trying to figure this out, Sarah's defense attorney goes on Nancy Grace. Oh, my and- gosh. <laughs> I love the collective groan in the room when you mention Nancy Grace. Um, uh, no tea, no shade. So 
<clears throat> the defense attorney goes on Nancy Grace and is basically touting that this is what is going to get Sarah off. This is proof of her innocence. Basically, what this is showing that the evidence is on the back of the robe is basically saying that there's no way that this evidence wasn't tampered with. This is going to completely exonerate our client. Unless there was someone else. Right. So Nancy Grace, in all of her wise Nancy Graceness is exactly what I wrote in my notes, suggests, well, if she wanted to protect her clothes, she just had to slip the robe on backward. Well, the prosecution team just happened to be watching Nancy Grace that night and now had the perfect explanation as to why the blood spatter evidence was on the robe the way that it was. Let me tell you, watching this trial play out. Can we find that video clip? unbelievably amazing i'm sure you can probably find it on the interwebs somewhere he's like going for it yeah jovi is like mr google i have a question um i need to see this so watching the and actually if you go on murderpedia and you look at the images under sarah johnson and you look at the images from the trial there's a picture of the prosecutor wearing the robe backward and holding the shotgun and i mean she killed her parents, right? But she's kind of smart because if you think about it, if you're wearing the robe to protect your clothes from evidence, right? If you wear it like a robe, you're going to have the V-neck opening at the very least. Even if you tie it, it's going to open. You're going to still get blood like on your chest, on your clothes, whatever. Yeah. But putting it backwards, that robe's going to go all the way up to your neck. The sleeves are going to go all the way down to your wrists. Like you're fully protecting your upper torso. But see, what was her, what was, what was the whole like, like who killed her parents like if someone's breaking into your house they don't just kill your parents and then leave you alive right exactly like so her big excuse was apparently that it was the maid but that makes no sense because the the maid would kill you well yeah the parents understand like okay yeah the parents fired the maid so i guess that that would be who she would kill but they're not gonna she's not gonna leave you alive yeah that makes no sense makes zero to no sense yeah So Usually anyway. the one that's left over is the one that Ugh, did it. Nancy Grace, man. Nancy Grace to the friggin' rescue. What the what? And then that guy's trying to go on there trying to like make He's her like, look good. He's like, this is amazing. And she's like, turn it backwards, baby. Bless your heart. And they're like, oh, yeah. Case closed. So there was a lot of testimony during the trial that... Um, also pointed to Sarah's behavior after the murder. So it wasn't just a matter of... Um, her being concerned about Bruno because that was something that came out too is that right after the murder happened the day of the murders actually her friend came over to I guess see her comfort her what have you and the first thing she says to her friend is please tell Bruno that I love him and it might be a while before I see him again so the first thing that you care about is getting a message to your 19 year old boyfriend Bruno um but then there's also additional disconnection and like weird coldness and reactions from her um at her parents' funeral, on the day of the funeral, um, she was, like, happy to have all this attention on her. Again, like, you can see pictures on on Murderpedia of her, like, greeting people like it's a family reunion. Like, hey, what's up? Like, these pictures of her just all what's excited. It's awful. Oh, like, God, when I go to funerals, I, like, I don't want anyone to acknowledge me because yeah. I'm, like, crying the whole oh, time. Oh, it's awful. It's just absolutely awful. So, and then she was also talking to people at the funeral about wanting to attend a volleyball game that night at school because she would play on the volleyball team. And that was like all she cared about was socializing and be part of the volleyball team and stuff. And then I remember watching the trial and I believe it was her aunt, her mother's sister, who 
um, was taking care of her immediately after the murders took place because, of course, she was a minor. Yeah. And said that in the days leading up to the funeral, all she cared about was getting her nails done and like what she was going to wear and have to go get my nails done. And like that's all that's all she cared about. It was appearances and Bruno and and volleyball like that was it. It was awful. Very shallow. Very shallow. And I made a weird burping noise again. I apologize. (laughs) Um, Okay, so though there was a substantial amount of evidence on things that belonged to Sarah. So there was evidence on the big robe, you know, things like that. There was, however, a lack of physical forensic evidence on her body. And they did a full body exam of her immediately after the murder. And there was no blood or tissue found on her, in her hair, on her hands, nothing. And that was kind of the big question, right? That was the big question of like, yeah, okay, so it makes sense that she did it. She had a motive. A lot of the evidence points to her and her uh, presence there and her being involved there. But she doesn't have literal physical evidence on her. So that was kind of the big confusion. But, um, you know, her fingerprints weren't on the murder weapon, all that stuff. Now, I couldn't find an article, but I do remember seeing this during the trial. Remember how I said the left leather glove had DNA on the outside or the gun residue on the outside and the right latex glove had her DNA on the inside? What the assumption was, was that she wore the latex glove and then put the leather glove over it. Uh, so her DNA was never inside the leather glove that had the gun residue on it. How the hell did she find that out? That's what I'm saying. Like there were certain things that she did that were like, huh? Like the robe backwards. The robe backwards the and then the double glove. Like there were certain things that she did that you're kind of like, but I, I mean, mean, okay. I'm like, you're, you're smart Maybe. enough to put on your robe backwards, but you take your robe and leave it out by the trash. For real. Well, and the whole thing. <laughs> Then run outside and start screaming for help from the neighbors after the trash pickup comes. You moron. <laughs> and I'm like, how long were her parents laying there before? It, did they- it couldn't have been long. I, I don't think it was long. I don't think it was long. Um, she There was also a couple of jailhouse informants that were fantastic. One, of, one cellmate of Sarah's, so like after the arrest prior to the trial beginning, had said that Sarah claims that she placed the knives at the scene to make it look like a gang-related crime. Um, There was another... of the maid? I guess, or the maid got gang members to come and kill the parents? Who freaking knows? Which, again, if the maid had gang members come to the house to kill your parents, they're also going to kill you. Yeah, you're not going to leave someone around to be a suspect. There was one jailhouse informant um, who was great on the stand. I remember her when they would question her. She's like, yeah. And what? Like she gave literal zero fucks about any of the questions she was given. I I loved her. Um, But she was saying that she had a conversation with Sarah and she was kind of like asking her about what happened. Yada, yada, yada. And Sarah started to say, well, when I killed and then quickly stopped herself and was like, oh, when the killers and kind of like stopped and looked at Melinda. And Melinda was like, that's okay. I won't rat on you. And then, of course, you know. Of course. Because when you're in jail. Trial. I was going to say, if you're in jail, like people are looking for ways to make their sentences less. Of course. So of, it's like you can't right. sit there and like common sense. Yeah, for real. That's another place that she kind of messed up. So um, the jury wound up deliberating on the case for 11 hours. And on March 18th, 2005, Sarah was found guilty of two counts of first degree murder. She was sentenced to two fixed life sentences plus 15 years without the possibility of parole. 
Um, she was also fined $10,000, $5,000 of which was allocated to her brother, Matt. Um, she has put in for an appeal based on the possibility of new DNA evidence and fingerprint technology that was not available at the time of the murder, but her appeal was rejected by the Idaho Supreme Court. So she is still in jail. She's still in jail, I'm assuming, in Idaho. Um, and yeah. Well, my whole thing is, is I mean, all the evidence points to her. There's, yeah. I, I just don't understand. I mean, I don't know. I guess you always do the last ditch effort of trying to put an appeal. Let me see what she looks like. Can I see what she looks like? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, we can look up. <laughs> she looks like trash. That's terrible. I mean, is it though? And I, can't find, I can't find the clip of Nancy Grace, but I found the transcript, and she just and she literally said, "Whoever had." Whoever had the robe on had it on this way, had it on backwards. They had to. Nice. So Nancy Grace like called it out from the very beginning. Why did just she like, look familiar? Yep. Was there another girl that had killed her parents too? No, but I will say the Sarah Johnson story has actually been on. Um, she, there was a snapped episode with her on it. Okay. There was a Killer Women episode with her on it. Um. She's like smiling in her like mug shot. Yeah. She's I don't know, man. She's definitely. A, I she's thought you weren't allowed to smile in your mug shots. I thought like you had to keep like a serious face. No, you're allowed to smile in your mug shots. You? Yeah. Haven't you ever seen like Paris Hilton's mug shot? I think she's smiling. One of the one of the Kardashians, possibly. They have a lot really. of money. I'm sure <laughs> no, they have a lot of money. I'd be smiling all the time, too. If I had if I had Paris Hilton money, I'd be smiling. Too. Speaking of Paris Hilton, just real quick, because we're not at our half hour time yet. And I don't mind sharing this with the group. Yeah. Um, has anybody gotten the chance to watch the Paris Hilton documentary? On I YouTube? want to. It I want to so badly. So good. It is so good. Uh, I feel like it was always an act. So like the fact that she's coming out and being like, Dude. it's an act. I'm like, Yes, I knew Dude, it. So I watched this documentary. I started it the other night because it wasn't, um, it was, I couldn't sleep. Shocker. Is it on what? Netflix? And it's on YouTube. Oh, YouTube. Yeah, yeah it's on YouTube. Do you have to pay um, for it? Maybe. Okay. I, well, I have YouTube Red or whatever oh, okay. it's called because I have Google Music. It's a whole thing. But I started watching it and I like could not st- I couldn't stop watching it I had to force myself to stop it halfway through to go to bed so I could watch it the next day it was so engrossing and so interesting and like she's that typical story of being all alone in a crowded room mm-hmm. like she's that person who she's consistently surrounded by hundreds of people mm-hmm. and she is so alone it is the oh, saddest yes. effing thing I've ever seen in my life and yeah she's like this is all an act. I am not this person at all. That's hot. And then, that is hot. And then like listening to her story about just the shit that she went through before she turned 18. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, seriously, mind blowing. I don't want to say anything because I don't want to like ruin it for you because it was a shock to me. The things that she was talking about, things I didn't expect. Like there was actually like something in there that I was like, holy balls. Um, but I will, t- dude, if you have the opportunity to watch it, I think it's like an hour and 45 minutes long. I can't wait to watch it again. Like that's how good yeah. it was that I can't wait to watch it again from start to finish. I want on my little tiny phone, just sitting there staring at it. Oh yeah. I, I was, was completely engrossed. She's always intrigued me because I've always thought that like, there's no way that she's like there's that. There's no way that's real. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Paris Hilton, man. The Paris Hilton documentary, I think it's called I Am Paris. It was 
Such a good documentary. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. It was so, so, so good. It made me like love her. I never had a problem with her. I never was like anti-Paris. Never had a problem with her. I love that stupid Stars Are Blue song. It is so good. Oh, no, her music. I like loved it. It was such a good song. But her perfume is bomb. Um, but it just talks a lot about how like, and honestly, she was kind of self-made, man. When she turned 18, her parents did not really give her anything. Yeah. All of the money that she like started with was from Simple Life. That was yeah. where her fortune kind of grew from. Mm-hmm. And she did all of it by herself. Her perfumes, her brands, her makeup, oh, yeah. her skincare, blah, blah, blah. Like, oh my god. Well, that's like people hate on the Kardashians. Mm. But like, they have built this empire on nothing. So... Not to be crass, but they literally built a multi-million dollar empire on Kim Kardashian sex tape. Yeah. I mean, truthfully, truthfully, because honestly, until that happened, you only knew Kim because of Paris Hilton. She was Paris Hilton's closet organizer. Yeah. Which I'm like, that sounds like a dream job. I would love that. And actually it was really funny in the documentary. She's bitching about how her closet's so disorganized. I'm like, maybe you should call him Kim Kardashian. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Maybe it's time to hire that bitch back. (laughs) But dude, it was, oh my God, it was so good. I highly recommend it. It was awesome. Well, um, so yeah, so that's kind of all the story I have for you. Um, I'm not an expert. Um, I'm relying very heavily on the resources I found online. Like I said, that thoughtco.com profile was, um, very comprehensive, got a lot of information from there. And then of course, from the trial itself and, uh, Wikipedia, Murderpedia. Um, and yeah, so that was the murder of Diane and Alan Johnson. And that's pretty much, uh, all I got for you guys today. Um, once again, if you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please go ahead and do so. We hope yeah. that you do. Make sure to rate. Yeah, make sure to rate and and put it in like, what are those called? Reviews or whatever? Yeah. Oh, yes. And we do have social media accounts, um, Instagram and Twitter. It's at Bed Crime Stories. Um, neither one is pod. No, yes. Both Instagram and Twitter is just at Bed Crime Stories. So go ahead and check us out on Instagram and Twitter. We hope you have a great week. Please tune in next time as we tell you more of our bed crime stories. Sweet dreams. Our theme song is the song Industrial Music Box by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. CreativeCommons.org backslash licenses backslash by backslash 3.0.